Just a little bit of review. In the, in the verses previous to what we're going to read today, Jesus has been teaching and preaching and healing. He's been visiting in the synagogues, but also in the, in the lands around the synagogues, around the Sea of Galilee. In the process of doing that, in the last chapter, he pulled aside disciples. And unlike the multitudes, the disciples were interested in getting to know the Lord. They wanted to be taught. They wanted to grow. They were eager learners. And he would give them times of personal instruction. And among those disciples, he called up into a mountain that he, he chose 12 with a special calling, the apostles, to send them out to do the things that he would be doing. And another thing that we noticed in our previous lessons, and we'll see it again today, is um, as Jesus now is going to come back into the public view, come back into public exchange with people, and he faced criticism. We mentioned this last Sunday night in our lesson from Mark chapter 3, because the criticism then was from those even closer to him. Uh, by the way, criticism often hurts us. And can hurt us, hurt us deeply, but the more close we are, the closer we are to the critic, the more it hurts us. And these people were closer to Jesus who were criticizing him. And so now we're going to face some more accusations against the Lord. And that begins in verse 22. Please join me and look there as I read. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath... Beelzebub. Now, they didn't say that to Jesus. They were just saying this. They were saying it to others. He hath Beelzebub, which is basically saying he, is, he hath Beelzebub. Beelzebub is the, is the word for the devil, for evil, a god, a false god. They were saying Jesus has a devil. Jesus is evil. And by the prince of the devils, by the, by the power of the prince of the devils, casteth he out devils. That's a strange thing to say, but they're saying he's, Jesus is, we'll take, we'll give you credit for this. He's casting out devils, but he's doing it with the power of the devil. <laughs> you say, that's not logical. A lot of things people say are not logical. Verse 23, and he called them unto him and saith unto them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. Verse 27, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man. And then he will spoil his house. And then Jesus says an interesting thing that we're not going to deal with today, but I want to read it. Verse 28. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that, blaspheme, he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness but is in danger of eternal damnation. Because they said, he hath an evil, an unclean spirit. So verse 30 tells us they were saying that Jesus has an unclean spirit. And so there's no mistaking what they were saying about him. 
And because they said that, Jesus said in verses 28 and 29 that they were guilty of committing what we would call the unpardonable sin. Now, that's going to, another message for another time. We'll deal with that, Lord willing, maybe next Sunday. But we're going to look at this passage here in verses 22 and following about this subject, if a kingdom be divided. And let's pray as we begin. Father, we need your help today as always. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for the work of grace that we're aware of in our own hearts and for what you're doing in other people's lives. We're thankful, Lord, for all of this. We're thankful as we even pray today to know that your word has the power to change our lives, to impact us. And Lord, not only does it have the power to impact our lives, but others who will hear this and learn about it. So we pray that you'd bless as we study. Help us to be attentive. Help us, Lord, today to take the truths of God and our response to the truths of God seriously. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So again, we see that Jesus was accused. Try to imagine this in your mind. Jesus was accused of casting out devils with the power of the devil. By the way, these weren't just local critics here. The Bible says in verse 22, these were scribes which came down from Jerusalem. Now, we don't know exactly where Jesus was here, somewhere around the Sea of Galilee, maybe near Capernaum. But if that's where he was from Jerusalem, that's like 120 miles. These are serious critics. They didn't just walk next door. They traveled for days to be there. And, and by the way, it's just a, a reminder to me how, how far sometimes people might go out of their way to stir up strife or create division. And that's exactly what these people are doing. And they were saying that Jesus was of the devil. These are religious people. These are scribes. These are experts in the law. And they were saying that Jesus was of the devil and was doing the devil's work. It says in verse 22, this is what they said, He hath Beelzebub. As I said earlier, that's the name of the devil. Beelzebub is used several times in the gospel. It's also used in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings, it called it Beelzebub, the, the, the uh, a false god, the false god of Ekron. So Beelzebub was a familiar name. But for the Jews here, Jews were not idol worshipers. They were not referring to Beelzebub as a friendly deity. To them, it was a term of utmost contempt. Some translations are not translations, but some dictionaries and word studies would tell you that there was used for the god of the flies, and some said the god of dung. It was was absolutely... a a reference to anyone that they felt was contemptible. That's who they were talking to, talking about when they said to Jesus, and by the way, we're going to venture away and come back to Mark 3. This is not the only time we read this name in the Gospels. Uh, Go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 9. Let's quickly look at a couple of references where we find this term used in a derogatory way. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 32 The Bible says, and as they went, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil, man unable to speak. They brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. 
And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. People are excited. We've never seen it like this before. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. So there, it didn't say Beelzebub, but he just called it the prince of the devils. He's using the power of Satan to do this. The very next chapter, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 25. Jesus is teaching and he said, it's enough for the disciple that he be as his master. He's teaching his own disciples. He's teaching about discipleship. And he says, it's enough for the disciple that he would be as his master. The disciple would be like his teacher. The disciples would be like their Lord and the servant as his Lord. And then he said this, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Jesus said, if they're calling me a devil, they're going to call you the same thing. Don't be surprised. And if you turn a little further in Matthew to Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22 says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? We'll get back to that in a moment. When the, when the people were seeing the miracles, they said, is this not the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, when they heard that, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan... He is divided against himself. How then, or how then shall his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils, please take special heed to this verse here. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man? And then he shall spoil his goods. And once again, please listen carefully to this verse 30. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. That's an interesting phrase, interesting sentence. We'll come back to it in a little bit. When he's talking about how a kingdom can be divided against itself. And how it's absurd to think that Jesus was casting out demons by the power of the devil. I like to read this verse here because in verse 23 when it says, The people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? Now what does that mean, the son of David? That means, is, is, should we believe that this is the promised Messiah? That's what the son of David means. Should we believe, can we believe that this might be the long-awaited Messiah, the coming Savior. And they based that on what they knew from the Old Testament. I'll read you a couple of verses from Isaiah 35. It says this, Your God will come and save you. This is a prophecy from Isaiah to the people of Israel. Your God will come and save you. 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. They knew that these things would happen when the Messiah came. So they said when they saw this happening, is this the son of David? Is this the Messiah? But the Pharisees would not hear of that. And so to me, their response in saying, no, this man is doing this by the power of the devil, their criticism was rooted in jealousy and in envy and in hatred and skepticism and cynicism. And by the way, that's a, lot of, a lot of times that's where criticism comes from. They're going to criticize him. Rather than receiving Jesus as Messiah, rather than enjoy what is happening as a fulfillment of Scripture, rather than do they, that they slander Jesus and say that he's of the devil. These, to me, that's a serious allegation, isn't it? To say that someone's of the devil. I mean, I don't know of anything that could be more hurtful, anything that could be more critical than to slander someone in saying that they're of the devil. And by the way, they could not be more wrong, right? They could not be more wrong. They could not be more deceived. And again, who were these people? They were religious people. In one passage, they were Pharisees. In another passage, they were scribes. But these are all deeply religious, spiritual experts. But what they're doing is they're spreading venom, poison about Jesus. I'm going back to Mark chapter 3. and encourage you to turn there with me again. Mark chapter 3. So what did Jesus do when these scribes said that he was of the devil? In verse 23 of Mark chapter 3, he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Now that's just, that is, if I could say this, it's the divine scripture, but it's also common sense. It's common sense. How could Satan cast out Satan? That's like... That's like leaving a room that you're standing in. How can you do that? How could, how could they? And so he's, he said, this is an unreasonable accusation. How could I cast out devils with the power of the devil? Now, as you think about that, to me, the fact that they believe something so preposterous is evidence of how deceived they were. Right? And to me, there's a bit of irony that the ones who are accusing Jesus of being an instrument of the devil were at that very moment being used of the devil. Is that right or wrong? There's, to me, there's, a, there's an evil spiritual component to these spiritual accusations, these evil accusations. And it's the work of the devil. It's the very work of the devil. Satan is a liar. He's a, he's, a, he's a confuser. He's an accuser. And it's true today. When I read this passage in Mark chapter 3, I'm reminded that we too are in a spiritual battle. There's, a, there's a, an ongoing spiritual uh, contest, a spiritual uh, conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. It goes on all the time. 
And a lot of times people who profess to be saved live as though it's, it's, it doesn't even exist, but it does exist. And it's real. These two kingdoms, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of God are in this clash. And I remind you of what we read in Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus says, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. He said, what I'm doing is not the work of Satan. This is the work of God. And I'm going to just mention this because we'll deal with it later. That's why he said what he said at the end of this text in Mark chapter 3 about because he said, it, because he, said he had an unclean spirit. This man was in jeopardy of committing the unpardonable sin. And I'll tell you, when you... When you Give when you give the work of you take the work of God and you call it evil. That's a serious thing. That's a very serious thing. As, as Satan, Satan's the accuser of the brethren, and it's just letting the devil use people. But the good news is, there's one stronger and mightier than the devil. Amen. I'm no match for the devil. Right? I, I, I hope I would never thought that, but I certainly don't think that today. I'm no match for the devil, but I know one is. Amen. Verse 26 says, if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand. If Satan assaults himself, he'll not survive. But verse 27, no man can enter into a strong man's house. And that's exactly what Jesus had been doing. These people were physically afflicted because of spiritual bondage. And Jesus said, you cannot set them free unless you first bind the strong man. That's verse 27. Except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his goods. To, to, to set a man free from bondage, you have to bind the strong man. And obviously the strong man is the devil. He's the one that has these people in bondage. And many of us know what it's like personally to be in spiritual bondage, blindness, darkness, and everybody that's lost is in that condition, whether they realize it or not. They're in that condition. And the only one that can set them free is Jesus Christ. And the, you may be here today and you're thinking, man, I, I can never change the way I am. I've tried and tried and I'm just in bondage to some addiction, some sin, some behavior. I can't break loose from it. I want to tell you, none of us can break loose on our own, but Jesus Christ sets the captives free. He can. He specializes in it. I'm not saying that there may not be some work on our part, but I'm telling you, you have you, the first the first thing has to happen is that strong man has to be bound, and only Jesus Christ can do that. He and He alone. But I'm telling, you, there's no one, there's no one in such a dark place that Jesus Christ cannot set them free. There's no one that is so bound by sin that Jesus Christ cannot set them free. By his own power. Isn't that wonderful to know? Sometimes we want to give up on people. Or maybe even give up on ourselves. But Jesus Christ can do that. I want to read you a few verses from Colossians chapter 1. This is what happens when a person gets saved. Think of what I'm going to read in terms of this conflict. Between light and dark. Between the power of Satan and the power of God. Think of that as we read these words. Paul said this. Talking about salvation. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, 
in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's what happened when you got saved. I didn't know that. I did not know that was what hap- was happening when I got saved. I didn't know that. I just knew I was a hell-bound sinner, and I was full of myself and controlled by my own selfishness and sin because I was a sinner as a way of life, and I wanted to be free, and I couldn't free myself. But I heard the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, how that He was buried and raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and I knelt as a broken sinner in in an altar of a Baptist church like this, and I asked Jesus Christ to save my wicked soul. And I didn't know, but that very moment in time, God translated me from the world of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son, and I've never been the same since. That's called salvation. Amen? It's wonderful. And that's what has to happen for a person to be saved. God does it. Now what we do is what God does. Amen? Greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. And you may be here today and you're not saved. You're not truly born again. And I'm not trying to confuse you, but I want you to know that There's a world of difference between just a person making a profession or getting baptized and truly being born again by the Spirit of God. It's a supernatural change that happens in a person's life. Once I was blind, but now I see. And, you know, they asked that man that Jesus healed of blindness in John chapter 9, you know, about who he asked, they're interrogating this man who was blind. Everybody knew he was blind. But now all of a sudden, for some unexplained reason, he's seeing. How did this happen? Who is this man? And he says, I don't know. All I know is once I was blind, but now I see. That's what salvation does for a person. Amen? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Amen. God changes us. And if you're not saved, you ought to get saved today. You ought to come to Christ today. If there is in your heart right now this just a, a desire to make, to make yourself avail, available to God, to turn to God, to, to want to be saved, if there's in that in your heart, if there's this, this uncertainty about your eternal destiny, then don't dismiss that. Don't brush that away. That's the grace of God working in your life. And today you ought to come to Christ in true repentance and say, I need to be saved. I want to be born again. I want to know I'm going to heaven. I'll tell you, I rejoiced yesterday at that funeral service as they talked about Brother Cook's brother. Some of you wouldn't know this. You weren't here maybe Sunday night or Wednesday night. But his brother died last Sunday morning at a church service. What a way to go, amen? Being in church and just moved on. (laughs) But I'll tell you what comforted my heart was so many people talking about his testimony and remembering when he got saved and how it changed his life. Changed his life. We need that. To see his children, his three children, I'm talking about Brother Cook's brother, to see his three children get up there and testify about what a difference it made in his life and what a, how he led them in a godly way and taught them about the things of God. That's what we need in America is we need families who are serious about their faith, who are teaching their children, who will teach their children. That's genuine conversion. Changes our life.
Amen? Jesus made it clear. How can, how can Satan do this? How could, how could I do this? How could I cast out Satan by the power of Satan? Now I want to mention something else before we conclude this service because it's so, it's so evident in this passage and I don't want to miss it. Is in this, packed into this teaching, packed into this parable, uh, Mark called it a parable, is a very valuable lesson about unity. Look what he says in verse 24. And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And then he says in verse 25, if a house be divided against himself, that house cannot stand. So Jesus himself expanded the application. If, if Satan's casting out demons by Satan, it's a kingdom that's divided. If a kingdom be, di- be divided against itself, it cannot survive, it cannot stand. By the way, that's, this is what's happening in talking about kingdoms. This is what's happening in America today. There's such a, you know, there's such a great conflict in our nation. And I'm not going to get political, but I think this applies to this. And the great conflict is not about government policies. It's never really a debate in the public arena about policies. But there's a culture war over morality. And, 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 and this, it's so evident by the atrocities that are becoming a part of mainstream America. And one at the very front of that, I think at the forefront of that, is this whole matter of the value of life. We were all shocked. You should have been shocked a few months ago when a governor, a state governor in the United States, verbalized before a camera his position about what if a baby was born, and then he says if that child is born then that child can be set aside after it's outside its mother's womb, and then between the doctor and the family, they can decide whether to let that child live. It makes me want to weep to think about that. That's satanic. That is satanic. It's barbaric. But you know what's happening in our nation? A nation, a kingdom that is divided cannot stand. And then you take the matter of the sanctity of marriage. And gender identity. I think these things are so critical to our country. I read something this week that I found so amazing. Something happened recently on a college campus of a Baptist church that has a college. And the pastor of this Baptist church stated publicly that he was going to raise his granddaughter as a woman. That's, isn't that a nice thing to say? I mean, you wouldn't think that'd be controversial. He's going to raise his granddaughter as a woman. Students in that Baptist college protested against that pastor saying that he was wrong and they were defending the right of a granddaughter to choose her own identity. This is sickness. And yet people who who are in the light, that ought to be us, we're in the light. We're not in darkness. We don't identify with this perversion, these atrocities. But the whole point is, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. It cannot stand. And a house divided against itself cannot stand. Can I tell you today, and I'm trying to help you, the more division that exists in a family or in a church, which is the house of God, the weaker it becomes. 
You ought to think about that. If you're married, if you have a family, a couple, the more division that exists in a family, the weaker it becomes. That's one of the things I believe that we're seeing more and more in our culture today is the weakening faith of professing believers. The weakening faith of professing believers. And especially when it comes to second and third generation Christians. That means people who are saved and their children being saved. And it's like they don't take things seriously. It's not, they don't really believe it strongly. Like their, perhaps like their parents did. I want to remind you what Jesus said in the context of this event. Jesus said this. Keep this in mind. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scatters abroad. Jesus said this. There is no neutral ground in this war that we're in. You're either for me, he said, or you're... I didn't make that up. Jesus said, if we're not with him, we're against him. And, and yet many professing Christians do not want to take a stand on issues. They want to be wishy-washy about issues. They want to love the world but love God. They want, to, they want to go to church but also be entertained with the things of this world. And Jesus said, we're in a battle, and if you're not on my side, you're on the side of the enemy. Jesus said that. Is that right or wrong? A house divided against itself cannot stand. My wife and I think about this subject some and talk about it together as we're getting closer to the end of our journey. We're not at the end of our journey, but we can almost see the end. But I'm going to say something to you today as a Christian. We do not regret. We have not, and we do not regret the strong commitment that we've maintained to Bible principles. We do not regret our desire to live holy, separated lives. You say, why do you even say that? Because I see people that seem to be second-guessing all that stuff. I want to tell you, if, I, I, if, I, if I, we look back on our life, we, would, we wouldn't say, man, I wish I wouldn't have been so strict and strong about what the Bible says. We don't say that. We don't believe that. Now, some of you do believe that. You're, you're thinking, man, I, I wish I wouldn't have been so, or some of you think, I wish I wouldn't have been raised so strong. Or, I, I'm just telling you, Jesus said, you're the for me, you're against me. If it's the Bible, then stand for it, live by it, profess it, embrace it, tell others about it. If it's the truth. A little leaven does what? Leaveneth the whole lump. A divided house will eventually fall. We see it happening. And by the way, a divided heart. Jesus said, or the Bible says, the book of James says, a double-minded man is unstable in his all his ways. You know, you know where the target, you know where a great target of the devil is, young person? A divided heart. A heart that's just not really for him and not really against him. I'm telling you, that is the work of the devil. And he capitalizes on that. There's power. There's power in the unity of a heart that's devoted to Christ. Whether it's in the home, in the church, there's power in that. 
And this, we see in this passage, I see this clearly taught in this passage, that Satan wants to divide people's loyalties. He wants to weaken our commitments. I don't want a weaker commitment. I want a stronger commitment. Amen? To truth. To the Bible. To God's people. To God's principles. I think that was what God would want for us. I've said this in different ways over the years. I'm going to say it again today. I cannot imagine. This has never happened to me. And maybe I'm not as close to God as some people are. But I cannot imagine that God coming to me and saying, Look, preacher, you know, you're really too devoted to me. You know, I mean, you need to, you need to see to back off. Can you imagine God doing that? I, I can't imagine God doing that. I'm not saying I haven't backed off in some ways from time to time. But everything about me and everything I know about God tells me I ought to give Him more of myself. Not just because I'm a preacher, but because He saved me. Because He died on the cross for me. Because He's taking my undeserving, wicked heart and transforming. He's taking me to heaven one day. I think we ought to be that way. There are many in our generation. I'm coming back to these critics now. There are many in our generation that want to vilify. Vilify means to make it vile. They want to vilify or debase or demonize holy living. Like it's something to be avoided. Godly living. And you know what? They treat it like it's of the devil. They treat it like that. That this matter of holy living, that that's really really taking it overboard. These people, these people here in Mark chapter 3 who were defaming Jesus. They were defaming Jesus. They were saying that His work was not of God. Were the very ones who were deceived. And the instruments of the devil. And blind themselves. I hope you can see that from the scripture today. What What does that say to me? What does it say to you? What does it say to us? This matter of a heart that's divided or a home that's divided or a kingdom that's divided against itself will not succeed. This is what I think it should should say to us. This is what I think it says to me. We ought to be all in for Jesus. We're all in. We're going to make mistakes along the way. We'll say things we regret. May make decisions we wish we wouldn't have made, but we're all in. Amen. I don't, want our, I don't want my heart to be divided. I don't want our family, our home to be divided. This is, that's the work of Satan. That's the work of Satan. A house divided will not stand. I thank God for the unity that we have in our church. But I wish it was even stronger. Stronger for Jesus. Stronger for the Bible. Stronger for one another. Stronger for the work. Even stronger. In the last week, I've talked to numerous pastors and church members from other churches. I don't know how many, three, four probably, who are going through great conflicts in their churches. I just want to weep. That's the work of the devil. That's the work of the devil to divide. Isn't it? That's not the work of God. How could a person... I remember one time, 
I, I knew right where I was standing and talking in the laundry room at our house years ago. And the other end of the phone was a pastor who was very ill. His illness took his life. I, he told me how ill he was. He was going through regrets. It's not like he was a close friend of mine, but we came very close from then on. But he called me, just called me, wanted to talk. And, and he said, I wish I'd have done more to take care of my family because he knew he wasn't going to probably live. I wish I'd have done more to help my family. I wish I'd have done more. I feel like I've neglected some things in my church. Went on and on, just weeping, and I was crying. And then he said this, and he said, on top of all that, we have an insurrection going on in our church. That means people that are against him and turning against him. And how could people be so deceived? How could people be just so deceived? You say, why, why would you care? I'll tell you why I care, because he's my brother. We're part of the same family. Amen? We care about one another. Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. That we ought to be for unity. To me, this ought to cause husbands and wives to say, let's make sure we're on the same page. Let's don't pull against each other. Let's pull together for the glory of God. We don't want our children to say, well, you know, yeah, dad believes that, but mom, we're not sure about or vice versa. We shouldn't be that way. We ought to be united in our homes, united in our church. United with Jesus Christ in the Word of God. A kingdom divided against itself. The devil will allow you to believe a lot of different things to keep you from the truth. Right? And if you're here today and you're not certain you're saved, you ought to come to Christ today. It'd be a great morning to get saved. We'll be standing right here in a moment. You ought to come and say, Preacher, Help me with this. I want to make sure I've got this down. Amen? And if your heart is divided, if you say, well, I, I really think I'm saved, but boy, I'm, a, I'm really, you know, I really identify with, I kind of have a, a tendency to really like the things of the world, you ought, to, you ought to get on your face somewhere and say, God, I want to be all in for Jesus. All in. Amen? The devil's not playing games, folks. He's been doing this a long time and he's good at it. He's good at it. But I know someone that's better. Amen? Let's stand together.